Hello, everyone. My name is Amanda Lieslove. I'm a registered holistic nutritionist who works with those with fibromyalgia. And today, my guest is Michelle Irving. She's best known for guiding women into their freedom while living with chronic illness. Michelle gets it. While bedbound twice in the past decade, she mastered the practical demands of work, medical appointments, and relationship dynamics. She now mentors women around the world, teaching them to harness their emotional wisdom and finding freedom with chronic illness. She keeps it real. In her forthright style, she provides practical relationship and self-care strategies for the whole illness journey from diagnosis to survivorship. Hello, Michelle. Welcome to the show. Hi, Amanda. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad you're here. So tell me, so tell me a little bit about your story. Uh, so I have two chronic health conditions, one life-threatening, one not life-threatening. The first one I had through diagnosis at 35 is I have a protein in my blood which attacks my liver cells and untreated leads to cirrhosis, which of course leads to organ failure. And that's an autoimmune condition. So it's been one arc of my journey in the mysterious illnesses. Wow. And the second um, condition I have is that at about 46, I woke up one day, I'd always had migraines in um, my, you know, since being a child, but I woke up one day and fell to the floor dizzy and couldn't walk and was lying on the floor and the room was spinning. And that continued. So I went to a hospital and through another um, reasonable diagnosis process, apparently your migraines can convert into what they call migraine-associated vertigo. So instead of the headache, you get dizziness and vertigo. So those are the two conditions that I live with. And so what did they suggest you do for those conditions? Uh, for the liver condition, my I take immunosuppressants uh, mm -hmm. for the suppression of my immune system, which is the part that's the protein attacking my liver. And that's been a really extensive journey because when I started taking those um, treatment, I was 35, I was fit, I was very well, I was going to yoga, I was doing uh, weight training, I was doing dance classes, very, very well. And as soon as I took the drugs, I slept 18 out of 24 hours a day and couldn't get out of bed. So I went through a process with the medical community and changing doctors, et cetera, to the point where they said to me, look, if you don't have treatment, you'll die within five years. And I made the decision that sleeping 18 out of 24 hours a day was no life. So I would take my five years and live them. And that was a really big decision and a big conversation with mortality. And then over time, I held to that decision, but new treatments came online. And there was a point at which they said to me, right, you're six months um, from having irreversible liver damage. And I had started to feel quite unwell. And I agreed to take treatment that day and the treatment had changed. And I was still bedbound for um, a few months in that process, but slowly recovered. And the immunosuppressants that I now take 
were new at that time and I'm perfectly fine to go about my day. Wow. How long ago was that? So that cri- what I think of as that health crisis, real critical juncture was in 2012 um, and it took two years for me to really be able to fully recover. So that was 2014 by the time I was fully recovered in terms of, you know, I'm on immunosuppressants. So if somebody has a cold and I catch that cold, I could be down for three months um, just because it takes so long for my immune system which is suppressed to be able to help my body recover. And then the vertigo condition came in 2016 um, and had me bed bound for many months. The treatment for that was very slow. It's medication, but because it's working with your brain neurology and chemistry, it's very delicate. Uh, And that really has taken me, I would say, I'm in year five of that treatment now. Probably it's only in the last 18 months, I would say, that I would feel pretty confidently well most of the time. Wow. So um, so how did you get into your work then? Yeah, that's the most interesting thing really for me is that What I did when I was living with the liver condition and certainly when I was having that conversation with mortality and was taking treatment but was incredibly sick. So that 2012 period, I couldn't walk to the letterbox while on treatment. I couldn't get groceries. I couldn't clean my house. But I could read and, you know, watch movies on the internet, etc., And what I decided to do at that time is to use it to develop my own personal, I guess, power and personal relationship with life and death. And it's really significant and frightening when you're in that edge, not knowing if you've tipped over into risk of organ failure and you're going to die or you're going to live. And what I did was read mythology. And I found a way for myself to experience all of the thoughts, all of the feelings, all of the experience I was having in terms of medical health through a mythological journey, which for me was Persephone, queen of the underworld. And I found in that mythology that it perfectly mapped out the experience of chronic illness. So the mythology of Persephone is that she's a goddess, a maiden. She's, you know, living happily, playing in the fields, and the god of the underworld comes and just takes her, snatches her down to the underworld. And as she does that, she loses her identity. She loses connection to, you know, spring life freedom. And she goes through a process where she becomes the queen of the underworld and she knows how to navigate the underworld. And there comes a time then where, you know, it's a Greek myth, so it has many, many stories in it, but there comes a time where her mother negotiates for her to be free and come back up into the world. And as she does that, she goes through a process where it becomes the fact that she returns to the world six months of the year, which we know as spring and summer, and then she goes down to the underworld to be the queen again 
in the underworld for six months of the year, which we know as autumn and winter. But that process really gave me a psychological map for becoming the queen of the underworld through the conversation with death, through the difficulties of fatigue and knowing the time and space that chronic illness greets us with, which is very different to the time and space of the world, the normal world that's going on where everybody's just going about their day and isn't really thinking about the future and feels, you know, like life is limitless for them. So did you start doing this work a couple of years ago or? So what I did was use that mythology and develop a whole lot of exercises for myself about freedom with chronic illness and what the right. tools and skills are. And I built that while I was unwell because I, I needed to find a way to psychologically cope and to emotionally stabilize. So I made, in many ways, a reframe of my experience into an empowering narrative instead of feeling victimized by the illness. I looked for the ways I could have agency, sovereignty, that I am the decision maker about my treatment, right. my clinicians. Uh, the advisors to me and I am the queen of this conversation with life and death and I can take their advice but I am still the decision maker on treatment on how my day runs on the support that I need and the support that I accept and I am not an infant I am not a child in this process and it totally transformed my relationship dynamics both with the people supporting me but also with my clinicians. So how I use that then is as I worked that all out for myself, as I recovered, I had women friends with, say, breast cancer come to me and ask, you know, could I help them? And I began to develop a model and tools to take women through the process of finding what I call their badass boundaries in relationships. <laughs> of finding the way to negotiate with their employer about what they need and what their capacity is, of opening to love in a way that works for them and doesn't have shame hidden in it about being chronically unwell. And as I did that process, then it became my profession and that's what I do now. I run women through a series of programs so they can access their own power. This is not a formula of you know, the power they should have. This is actually about their relationship with themselves and their own agency and the boundaries that they want to set in their relationships and the way that they want to work with work that is meaningful for them but also works for you and your body. That's beautiful. Yeah. I honestly, we all need boundaries in our lives. Yeah, everybody needs boundaries. And if there's one thing chronic illness will teach you, it yeah. will be getting badass boundaries on as fast <laughs> as possible. Isn't that the truth? Yeah, I read a book a couple of years ago and it talked about setting boundaries and stuff. And people just have trouble with boundaries. Yeah, as women were conditioned to be polite, to not make anybody uncomfortable. Um, so having boundaries is in many ways countercultural for women. 
And we think that setting a boundary is going to mean rejection for us or disturbance. So we don't want to be difficult. But actually, boundaries are the way that you can then discern what you put your energy into and what you don't put your energy into. They're a way of creating the work that works for you rather than having all of everybody's expectations on top of you and trying to meet them and feeling like you can't and all of the emotional drain in your system that goes on when you're trying to navigate people's expectations. Boundaries are super clear, super clean, and actually they help people have a conversation with you and they help you get what you need rather than actually being something that causes rejection. Yeah, I totally agree. Uh, we just talked about bound. Um, so is it, do you find a lot of your people that come to you, women, do they struggle with boundaries? Yeah, I think that we sort of end up in two positions. We can end up trying to people please because we feel apologetic that we're not 100% and we feel um, in that sense of being in an apology that we're trying people please in a whole lot of ways. The other choice we can go to is we can feel exhausted and super defensive and we can put up a wall and feel like the only way through is to shut everybody down. Either of these strategies take an enormous amount of emotional energy to maintain. And what I think is helpful for women is once we know what's important to us and we have the capacity to say that to others and we can live with some of the discomfort of letting people, you know, think about what we've said and work out what their response is, if we can just sit in a bit of discomfort then what happens is those relationships start to dramatically transform and we get our needs met and we are able to say what we want. And what that does is release a whole lot of emotional energy that we can now put towards doing the things we want to do and really starting to flourish and bloom again, even if we're lying in bed for the rest of the day We've got more energy to put towards what we want because we're not trying to defend or overextend ourselves or hold up a wall in our relationships with others. Yeah, I, I find it's very draining if you don't take care of yourself. <laughs> and a lot of people with chronic illnesses don't. Yeah, it's hard. It's, a, it's yeah. not something we're taught. Um, it's no. not something the culture does. The culture teaches you to push, 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 push. Right, isn't um, true? Yeah, so it, it's no fault that we don't have boundaries or don't know how to do it. We haven't been taught how to do it. And certainly if there's someone you admire who seems to be able in a healthy way to set a boundary, find some help. See if you can ask them about it or find a practitioner, whether it's a therapist or someone like me or you, Amanda, who can help people really nourish themselves through setting boundaries that are healthy and help women um, 
really find out what to say in the moment. Like a lot of us don't know what to say. So as practical as you can get, get the help to work out exactly what you might say to somebody. Yeah, because I think a lot of times we don't know what to say to someone. Now, Correct. And so it's we need that outside voice to say, oh, you should say this. And it might be the simplest advice, but the person that came to you didn't think of it. Yeah, and it could be um, there's so many things you could say to somebody. So one of the things that I really encourage women to think about is that we're often running down the list of what we can't do. And in that list, we start to apologise to everybody. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm sorry. And what that does is really hurt our relationship with our own agency because we're apologizing we don't feel great about it so there's another option and that is to work out what you can do and set the tone for every conversation about what you can do so for me you know the context is I can't work in an office I can't go the bright lights give me migraines and vertigo it's not a great fit for me But instead of saying, I'm so sorry and I can't do that and sort of closing in and feeling small, what I do is say, so I can really do that work and I can do it remotely and here's how I can report in with you. We could have a phone call. I could send you an email summary. I can be available. This is what I can do. And once I talk about what I can do, you can feel there's a lot more energy in my voice. I have a conversation that is an opening conversation where people are drawn in to the, okay, that's how it would work. How can we support that? As opposed to it being their problem and my problem because I can't do it their way. And that's one simple way. It's going to take practice. It's going to feel uncomfortable. But it's one way in which, just like anything else, it's a muscle you can build. Start talking about what you can do, even in the smallest possible way. And what that does is help you move into a more powerful energy within yourself. Yeah, that's, that's, it's, you're taking you're not playing the victim, you're, you're empowering yourself. Yeah, you're speaking from the power that you do have. And when you do that, you start to have an experience of yourself that's very different. So, you know, there's that experience that I had where I couldn't walk to the letterbox and I couldn't get groceries. So what I did was make a list of, okay, I can't do that, but what can I do? I actually can order my groceries online. I can actually ask for help. And so what I did in that was send out an email to five very close women saying, you've all offered to help or I need some help. I'd like to organise a weekly roster for somebody to help me, um, you know, put my groceries in the cupboard or something. And... What that did was also tell other women how they could help me because a lot of people want to help but they don't know what to say or they help in a way that's not very helpful for you. And so when you know what you need through 
identifying what you can do, which often illuminates the areas that you need help with, then you can ask for help in that. And once again, you're setting the tone and the relationship and the conversation about what works for you. And it's simple to do because everybody wants to help. It is simple to do and um, people want to help, but what you want to do is get the help that works for you as opposed to what I call the unhelpful helpers who have a lot of advice, have a lot of thoughts, um, are doing things that actually don't work for you at all. So once again, clarity about what you actually need help with and then asking for help with that specific thing is you setting the tone and being the queen in your own world. Exactly. So you have a 10-day summit coming up. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I was really inspired. Um, There's not a lot of spaces for women with chronic illness to listen, share and be with each other. And I know that through running workshops and my own online courses, it's one of the most nourishing and powerful things that women are looking for. And part of that's the relief, the I don't have to front up, I don't have to explain myself to everybody. Other women in this group totally get it. So in that process, I thought I'd love to interview women who live with chronic illness, but have also found a way to feel sovereign and empowered and talk to them about what those strategies were and what they learned. And I started reaching out to women who I admired who I knew had this capacity. So we've got some pretty big names. Uh, One of them, Samantha Wills, who you may or may not know her, but she's really in a celebrity field of designing jewellery. And she closed her business um, in the last couple of years and has started to write about her experience of both being an entrepreneur but also living with NGO tremosis i don't know how to say that exactly angiotremosis um and i have another woman jacinta parsons who's a radio broadcaster and has lived with crohn's disease for over 20 years so i've interviewed these women and as of the 22nd of march you'll be able to see these interviews come and participate in our private facebook group and we have a whole lot of prizes set up which are like one-on-one consultations with a personal stylist who works with women with chronic illness, even if it's with your pyjamas, to help you feel better and talk to you about what works for you in terms of your body and your body shape and get you to move into a more positive relationship because sometimes you put on weight, sometimes you lose it in the experience of chronic illness and we can lose our sense of identity. So that's another interview I have with Sally. So what I've done is you can go and register now. We'll put all the links, I'm sure, Amanda, in the show notes. And then you'll be able to watch an interview one a day over 10 days. And we have some fabulous prizes. And you'll be able to participate and be in the energy with other women with a whole range of conditions but who are sharing their wisdom, their resources, their support for the emotional journey that comes with chronic illness. Sounds like a wonderful event. I'll put in the show notes. Is there one thing that you would like to leave my audience with? 
Absolutely. I know, as no doubt you do, how isolating and emotionally overwhelming chronic illness can be. Mm -hmm. And what I would want to share with every woman with chronic illness, there is support and you do not need to do this alone. And if you haven't found that support in family, friends or colleagues, I would encourage you to join our communities, join your community, Amanda, join mine, look for women who are living with chronic illness and have created a safe space for you to come and connect into and get some resources and some programs and help that will really help you feel connected and actually strengthen your capacity to live in a way that feels free while having a chronic illness. That was beautiful. It's my uh, pleasure. <laughs> thank you so much for being here and sharing your story. And everyone should check out this amazing event. Thanks so much for having me, Amanda. It's my absolute pleasure to talk to you. Yeah, you're so welcome. <laughs>